0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, can we all just get along? The co-chairs of the Problem Solvers Caucus join us. Congressman Josh Gottheimer on following President Biden's lead and prioritizing common ground.
1: We're all talking and we're not screaming at each other and we're actually working together. And as the president said this week, unity is the answer and we've got to turn the page on the division and it starts here.
0: But not everyone's on the same page about Biden's proposals. A $15 minimum wage has has two of our guests at odds kevin o'leary
2: this is the worst idea i have ever heard at this
0: time this is a crazy idea right now and galaxy digital's mike nova grants
3: it's unethical for someone to work a 40-hour week and make eight dollars an hour it just doesn't add
0: up plus tech's old guard might be moving out biden's executive orders are rolling
4: in and bond james bond well we're still waiting oh i love pierce did you? Sean Connery's the best. Love Pierce. Daniel Craig's awesome. It's
0: Friday, January 22nd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now.
4: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. Happy Friday. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew, uh, obviously some corporate news that's in the headlines right now, though.
5: IBM shares, they are slumping this morning. The company's fourth quarter sales, missing analyst estimates, revenue falling. 6% on an annualized basis, the fourth consecutive quarter of declines. Now, the company didn't issue formal earnings guidance, but did say it expects revenue growth in 2021. But uh, all of this, uh, you know, raising questions, uh, of course, about uh, the future uh, of IBM and uh, the trajectory that they've been on. They have been uh, trying, uh, very much so, to make the pivot uh, towards the cloud. Um, Ginny Rometty used to come on our show, uh, the former CEO and talked about empty calories. When you'd see revenue come down, she'd say, don't worry about it, those are empty calories. We're trying to get rid of those empty calories. But uh, now that the company has actually made some meaningful progress, trying to get rid of those empty calories, now the question is whether the numbers we're seeing today reflect this idea of calories that are real calories lost. So uh, we will we will see, but uh, investors we heard the and analysts same thing not, not thrilled Re- about the situation.
6: Remember GE Capital? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or GE? Yeah, we no, 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 no. The revenues are supposed to go down. We're, we're shrinking GE Capital. We want to get, you know, that business is too volatile. So as we're shrinking that, revenues are going to come down, but it's all good. Unfortunately, the stock price was shrinking mm. faster than, than the revenue price. And, and you know, IBM, you, you wonder, they briefly... Broke that string of uh, of revenue declines. I guess it now it was a year ago yeah. because now fourth, they've the had four, of, four straight yeah, quarters. It of was, it was a uh, year so they, ago. It was
4: fourth quarter. Yeah. They
6: briefly broke that, and that was uh, that was the outlier. The revenue decline itself is not the outlier. When they stem that briefly, that that obviously is the right. outlier. This is sad. Uh, just in, in terms of uh, I don't know if you if you have any nostalgia for big tech and. and you know, companies we grew up with—what? Let's see, 117 billion now. <laughs> think how many IPOs yep. in the last year. The companies that you know—you only heard of them the first time versus in the last over, six months. Versus and over it, a trillion
4: it, it, for yeah. Microsoft.
6: Yeah, uh, yeah, hundred. And then uh, I think we're going to talk Intel. Also, it's funny we yep. put these. the, let's, the let's, components go in just to come out eventually. I think. They,
5: they, they come in together and, and we'll see if they got it together. Right. Uh, meantime, take a look at this, though. Intel right now as well, because there's some news there as well. They plan to make uh, the bulk of their new chips now, they're saying, in-house. But they're going to begin outsourcing more production. Here's incoming CEO Pat uh
6: on the call. I am pleased with the progress made on the health and recovery of the 7 nanometer program. I am confident that the majority of our 2023 products
3: will be manufactured internally. At the same time... Given the breadth of our portfolio, it's likely that we will expand our use of external foundries for certain technologies and products.
5: The move to outsource and production is effectively an acknowledgment. It's a bit of a white flag, if we're being fair here, that Intel has fallen behind its rivals. The company posted record annual sales of nearly $78 billion fueled by pandemic demand for PCs, although... Much of that demand came from lower-cost laptops that aren't as profitable. Intel said it rushed out its results ahead of yesterday's close because of potentially unauthorized access to some of its earnings-related information. The company beat expectations on the top and bottom line, so you think this is good, and raised its dividend. But so interestingly, as we've talked about, you know, companies like Apple no longer using uh, those Intel chips. And I have, a, I have an Apple uh, laptop right here. This has an Intel chip in it, but the, the new ones... Um, the new ones don't. This new M1 chip that, that Apple has from the yeah. MacBook Pro is amazing. I mean, blows the, blows the Intel chip out of the water. And, um, you know, you, you say to yourself, look, Intel's been in this business for a long time. They should be able to build faster chips and yet for, for all sorts of reasons haven't been able to make it work chips. I thought, you know,
6: software, I understand. Remember computer-aided design? Compu- Remember all those companies? Remember digital equipment? I, I'm used to watching Hat. all that happen. And, and Novell and yeah. all these companies get displaced by, you know, the, the Silicon Valley. You, you saw, you know, the, the social network. These young bucks come out there and kids oh. come out and they're yep. so smart and they just, you know, the, the fat and happy older companies just get displaced all the time. But I wasn't sure what happen with Intel. But it has with, with chip makers, I guess. Uh, think of all no, the, we'll the, the, see. We'll the, see. the landscapes littered with those great, those huge names. Remember, where and IBM this this latest, but HP. Intel. But I well, yeah. You know, HP, just a
5: historical historical note, Joe and Becky. It's so interesting. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about big tech and whether p- big tech should get broken up, whether they can ever get taken over. And you look at big companies like IBM and you look at big companies like Intel. We're at the top of uh, the top of the list, not just in terms of size, but in terms of what their market cap was relative to everything else. And you look 20, 30 years later, and uh, invariably, this is the argument actually against regulation, right? Uh, that uh, but that you know people what? It's do not, even, even, businesses, even, and, even yeah. businesses that seem to have a defensive moat. Um, right.
6: They say yeah. That there's innovation. Yeah. Right. They they deregulate. It's not just tech.
4: You know, Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, carries (laughs) around on his phone a list of the top 10 retailers over the decades. And it's a reminder to him that there is constant change, and it is really hard to stay at the, stop, at the top. You think about yeah. Sears for the longest time, J.C. Penney, yeah. all the way through. This is every industry. If you are not constantly innovating and trying to get to the top again, there is somebody else who's going to come along and, and, and take the mantle from you.
6: Right. Jeff Bezos can see his own future, and he said it. that we're, It's eventually going to zero, <laughs> so keep working really hard. The Biden administration announcing two new executive orders focused on the economy. Uh, Eamon Javers joins us now uh, with the details. Purely coincidence, the the Dow today. It's Intel and IBM, uh, Eamon. Uh, Anyway, what's up?
7: (laughs) Well, we're going to see these two new executive orders from the president today. uh, Signed at about 245 in the state dining room. Uh, What the Biden team is saying here uh, is that they need to take this emergency action right away just to focus on feeding children and adults in this time of pandemic when so many people are uh, experiencing food insecurity. Take a look at the details here as I walk you through the first one. This is a COVID relief uh, executive order designed to feed people. They're going to ask the USDA to boost what's called the Pandemic Electronic Benefits Transfer Amounts. That's a COVID era program that pays now a a current amount of $5.70 per child per school day. The Biden team doesn't think that's enough money to get each kid uh, a nutritious meal each day. So they want to boost that up. They're going to also ask uh, to allow states to increase Uh, SNAP Emergency Allotments, that's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program to feed people. They're asking Treasury to expand and improve the delivery of the stimulus checks to those who didn't get them. They say there's about 8 million households in this country who didn't get stimulus checks last year when they were sent out to everybody. Uh, That's because they fell through the cracks in a variety of ways. They want to fill some of those cracks and make sure those people get the assistance that they need. And they also want to allow workers to refuse unsafe work and still receive unemployment. So the idea being in the pandemic era, if your boss is asking you to do something that's going to get you COVID, uh, you can quit that job and still be eligible for unemployment insurance. So that's something to watch. And then the second executive order is more focused on the federal workforce. and, And this feels a lot more like the kinds of things that the Biden administration would be doing anyway. Uh, They're talking about restoring collective bargaining and revoking a number of Trump era executive orders affecting the federal workforce. They're also promoting a $15 an hour minimum wage for federal workers and for federal contractors. That can't start right away. There's a long bureaucratic process to that. Uh, but they're kicking the ball off uh, and trying to push in that direction. So uh, an important element for the Biden team of getting that $15 an hour minimum wage across the board nationally. Brian Deese, the new National Economic Council director, is going to be in the briefing room at 1245 today. So watch for that. He'll explain these executive orders, and also what's going on with that $1.9 trillion package, which the Biden team says is so important to the U.S. economy and to the rescue of the U.S. economy. Uh, of course, there's some Republicans up on Capitol Hill who are skeptical of that. So the negotiations are in full swing right now, guys. Back over to you.
6: Those were the days, Amy, when We used to talk about collective bargaining for, for public uh, employees, et cetera, and, and we used to make the point it. You know, they, they, they unionize, they get a bunch of money. Uh, I remember they, they used to, you know, they support certain candidates. And we always mentioned that Governor Corzine in, in New Jersey, they, you know, yep. contributed a lot of money, the unions did. Then a huge union package came out and he was, you know, bragging to, to a crowd of union people that we won. And it's like, wait a minute, you're the governor of the state that has its finances. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to, to, to do as well as you can in terms of running an efficient state. So you get lobbied for these right. big increases and pension increases by the same people that are getting them, and then you're calling it a great victory that, that we had. So, I, I, you know, collective bargaining. But the other yeah. one, the $15 one... Um, Although it's
7: unclear who would, who would lobby for them
6: uh, other than right. the people who would get them, right? I mean, well, they, they that's do... Benefits. Yeah, that's better That's true. Uh, so for, I, I think for the markets, I don't think Keystone was taken um, very positively by, by a lot of people. I mean, the, the Obama administration five times looked at the environmental impact of what's going to happen with Keystone. And there are, there, yeah. those are going to be high paying jobs. to So you got that, you got this. We'll see. We'll see whether there's any inflection point that we reach when a lot of uh, what we knew was coming actually becomes um, front and center for us. So I don't know. This is yeah. IBM and Intel today. Not to worry. I understand that. But but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, we are going to we're going to re-regulate and do some other things. Um, but hey, we've had a, a great run. Yeah. Anyway, elections elections have consequences, right? Yeah, they do. Hopefully they'll, they'll be some good of the things that they were they would have done. Al- yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks. Amy. Hollywood uh, is moving back. Delaying more film releases because of the pandemic. MGM said it would delay the release of No Time to Die. The, the James Bond films get confusing because they all almost have the word die in them. There's to die another day. There's um, I don't know. They every one of this sounds like if I not seen this, then they and then they made Thunderball twice. And Casino Royale. So it's confusing. Uh, anyway, what a ride uh, if you own the rights to those novels. Uh, they never get old, do they? The latest installment, though, is now delayed. Won't be released until uh, in October. It won't be released till October had been April. I love that Daniel Craig says, I'm not doing any more. And then they go. Oh, how much? Third, how much has he got now? 15 million, Sorkin? Do you, take, do you keep track of that? <laughs> It's like, I'm not doing anymore. it more. No, I'm not doing it more. More than that. I think, I think it's t- 20. Right. He's pretty, Hold on. He, he, I'm going to get to the number. It's he's it's a pretty good 20. one. He's a pretty good one because they're, they're not all he created is. equal. I'm, he's a good one.
4: No. And I will tell you, I, I'll go see any of them. Uh, uh, just about any of them. Maybe not Roger Moore, but all the other guys. I would go see any of these movies. And I bet you will, too, Joe, even though you're he complaining pretty, about how it's the same movie.
6: Roger Moore had his own. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I wasn't a big Pierce Brosnan uh, uh, guy. I, I thought oh, Roger I love Pierce.
4: Moore. love did Pierce. Did you? Sean Connery's the best. Love Pierce. Daniel yeah, Craig's awesome.
6: Yeah,
5: that. Uh, yeah. Now the question is, though, would you sign up for a streaming service if they had this on the network? And I think you would, even if, if it was the expensive.
6: You probably would. Maybe just to see the first. Maybe if they had that and all the Bourne movies, too. If
4: they had all the Jason Bourne movies. And by the way, Jason Bourne, Matt Damon every time.
6: Yeah, that's true. You think Sean Connery could kick Matt Damon's ass? I think it's on Netflix. Isn't Jason Bourne on Netflix? Don't you think Sean Connery could kick... Anyway. All right, go ahead. I I think Sean Connery would, would just kick Bourne's ass.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, two congressional problem solvers. Why bipartisan compromise is needed now more than ever. Republican from New York, Tom Reed, on working with the new president's policies.
8: When President Obama was in office, when President Trump was in office, executive orders uh, can be done uh, by executive orders, but they can be undone by executive orders. And the better policy is to get policy that's bipartisan, that's supported, and uh, that's the long-term legacy effect.
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod.
5: We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, conservative versus liberal. We can do this
0: if we open our souls. Instead of hardening our hearts, This week, President Joe Biden called in his inaugural address to end the uncivil war of division and partisan bickering. The new president comes into office with a slim Democratic majority to support his agenda legislatively, 50 senators, and a margin in the House of Representatives that is barely a majority, the tightest in nearly a century. That shifts a tremendous amount of importance to the middle, politically moderate members of Congress willing to compromise or cross the ideological aisle to get something done. The Problem Solvers Caucus is a block of 56 members of the House and Senate who promised to do just that. This group has been brewing for the last few years, but gained new attention when stalled COVID relief talks were revived in the fall, and a nearly $900 billion pandemic aid package developed in that caucus was passed just before Christmas. New Jersey Democrat Josh Gottheimer and New York Republican Tom Reed are the co-chairs of the caucus. The last time these two congressmen joined us was the morning of January 7th. Just hours after a joint session finished the business of the 2020 election, knocking down objections to the final vote certification.
5: Those in favor say aye. Those opposed say no. no. Aye. Those have it.
0: And following a harrowing afternoon at the Capitol, when rioters stormed the building and lawmakers were forced to
9: shelter.
1: I was on the uh, in, in the House chamber when they stormed it. Uh, it was. But to say it was upsetting is a, a massive understatement, you know, it was just couldn't believe what happened in our Capitol yesterday. But at the end of the night, Tom and I stood together on the House floor and delivered uh, delivered remarks. I literally walked
8: across the floor uh, to my best friend in Congress, a Democrat, Josh Gottheimer. And we stood together and I couldn't have been prouder uh, to stand together as a proud Republican and him as I know a proud Democrat and tell my colleagues in the chamber, this has to end.
0: The two co-chairs joined us again this morning on the second full day of the Biden administration, where the policy agenda focuses on food aid, a higher minimum wage,
4: continuing to combat the economic effects of COVID-19. Here's Becky Quick. Gentlemen, what we've heard this week have been messages of unity coming from President Biden, and I'm sure that's music to both of your ears. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we've seen, though. And, and Congressman Reid, I'll start with you, since you're the Republican at the table. What do you think of the early executive orders that we've seen of the uh, early requests for COVID-19 funding?
8: Well, you know, obviously I'm concerned uh, about some of these executive orders and some of the action they're taking. And I disagree uh, with them, like the energy uh, leasing uh, proposal in particular. I think we should be developing our energy resources, uh, not cutting them off for energy security and economic reasons. But that being said, uh, I've always said uh, when President Obama was in office, when President Trump was in office, Executive orders uh, can be done uh, by executive orders, but they can be undone by executive orders. And the better policy is to get policy that's bipartisan, that's supported, and uh, that's the long-term legacy effect uh, that we need to do. And that's why people like us in the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, can come together, find common ground, and that's where we're going to have to keep going forward. And one of the areas of common ground should be COVID, getting it in the history books as soon as possible. That helps all Americans, and that's what we should be focusing on, in my opinion, right now, to find common ground.
4: Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, COVID first, Congressman Gottheimer, $1.9 trillion. Is is that something that you can get both uh, sides of your caucus lined up and, and say, okay, this is a bill we need to pass? Or are there sticking points in that that you, you don't think that the problem solvers would be behind?
1: Well, and good morning. You know, we're still getting all the details of that package. What is clear is that the work we did at the end of the year and the package that Tom and I and the problem solvers caucus, along with a bipartisan group of senators worked on, was to get emergency relief out as quickly as possible, which we did, and to get us through the first quarter. Uh, you know, The challenge is March will come fast, so we have to get to work on making sure that we can keep getting out resources, as Tom just said, to fight COVID, to beat COVID, get those vaccines out, to help uh, our families through a very tough time with food relief, which I know the president's working on today, but also more resources for unemployment, which will roll off in March, that extra unemployment dollars. And, of course, state and local resources, which is something we didn't get in the last package. And a lot of our municipalities are hurting. But the bottom line is, and some of this was done through executive action already, we've got to get the help to beat the vaccine, get those resources out there. We're not going fast enough. The, the virus continues to ravage the country. You know, we know we've lost 400,000 people. And, unfortunately, it's speeding up, not slowing down. So we've got to get ahead of it. And I think that's what's going to be key in whatever package we put out to make sure we have the resources to do that and to help us and our small businesses and families get through these rough months ahead.
4: Congressman Reed, let's just focus on the COVID-19 package. Uh, obviously, things are still firming up, but we know where the initial markers have been laid down and, and you can probably pretty easily tell what the third rails are in that. Uh, one of them would have to be the $350 billion for state and municipalities. Uh, another would be the $15 minimum wage. What, what do the Republicans in your caucus have to say about those issues? Is that something that you think you can find bipartisan support on, or will they continue to be the sticking points they have to this to this point?
8: Well, I think we have to first take a deep breath on the $900 billion that we did on the stimulus package that Josh and I and the Problem Solvers Caucus, a gang of eight in the Senate, worked on and got delivered uh... to the american people uh... so we got to see where that money goes and then at that point in time uh... then we can have a a healthy conversation about uh... some of the remaining issues and state and local aid is obviously going to be part of that conversation liability reform is also going to be part of that conversation because the lawsuits are now starting to pile up and and anybody who thinks that lawsuit and liability reform is going to go away and can't be needs to be addressed is living in a fairyland uh... because uh, those liability concerns are real. People are losing their defense coverage under their liability insurance policies. And so we're going to have to deal with state and local and liability coverage uh, here in short order. And so I think there's an opportunity to do a package there. Uh, but when you're talking about $1.9 trillion, right immediately on top of $900 billion that hasn't even gone out of the Treasury's offices yet, it literally has just been approved and is being distributed as we speak, I think it's a little premature to start talking about another $1.9 trillion in total, until we actually see how this money of 900 billion dollars impacts the economy and where we stand as the vaccine that we need to come together on today gets rolled out and and, and solves this issue of COVID-19 herd immunity that we all need to get to as soon as possible.
4: So I'm sensing there's already some divisions that are popping up even between the two of you who have worked so closely and pulled so much of the caucus together. Josh, would you agree that there's time that we can wait and see before we need to decide what to do about the state and local municipalities aid. I, I, I would think that that's something you've Back been pushing you know, for always, pretty hard. You
1: know, I, Tom and I always disagree a little bit before we agree. Uh, that's what's good about working together. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think, listen, you're, you're, there's definitely, listen, there, as, as you probably know, there's uh, there's a desire first, and I feel the same way, to see what resources have gone out the door, where we need extra resources. We've heard clearly that when it comes to COVID vaccine distribution and testing, that's an area that needs more resources. We have to get a sense of where we're going to be on the unemployment front, which continues to be affecting our country and a lot of families, how much more direct assistance we need to get to folks. You know, the, another, uh, the ch- additional checks have been talked about. And so all those things need to be assessed, and we need to get the facts. But the bottom line is we've got to do something. And you know, people have talked about a more targeted package for the short term in terms of vaccine distribution and, and checks to families. Um, that might be one path we go down, but we've got to get it out of the House and the Senate. And we've talked, as we've talked about here, it's it's a narrow majority in both houses. So we're going to have to sit down and find that find that agreement. And and Tom and I and others will sit down and 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 hopefully really work together to to find a way forward. But as Tom said, we've got to do something, and and that's really what this is about.
8: Yeah, what I was going to say is, how are we do it in the Problem Solvers Caucus, Member. Uh, finding common ground legislation, it means you're a proud Republican and proud Democrat. doesn't mean you just go to $1.9 trillion and you vote yes or no on that deal. You stay in the room and find out where the common ground initiatives are, and that's what we do. And then out of the $1.9 trillion, at some point in time, we will get there. And with good-faith people like Josh Gottheimer and Problem Solvers Caucus members and working with President Biden, not in opposition just because they wear a Democrat on their lapel, That is how the American people win. And that's the new era of governance that's coming to Washington, D.C., led by Problem Solvers Caucus, as well as the Common Sense Coalition of Senators that we're working with in the Senate.
4: Josh, just to to back up a little bit, it sounded to me like you were saying maybe those $1,400 direct checks to people aren't such a great idea if you're giving it to everybody. You'd like to see more targeted. Uh, dollars going out. is I'm just trying to feel where the framework might be even uh-huh. between you two. Is, is that what I did I hear that correctly?
1: You know, one of the things that' been proposed is doing it, doing more targeted resources and and getting those dollars out in a yeah. more targeted way. That's an idea that's kicking around in yeah. terms of uh, finding and finding a compromise. Um so I, I was, what what we'll see is where we can actually build that that sixty to get to in the Senate, and obviously a majority in the House, what it looks like. And I think, as Tom just said, We're gonna have to work very closely, we will with the Biden administration and, and to find out how we can get to what they need to help the country through the pandemic and to help our families and small businesses and obviously our local communities. We'll we'll see in the next week This is going to continue to move around until we land in a place where we can build the support we need to pass this legislation. And and I think that's what's good about this process, Tom said, is that we're all talking and we're not screaming at each other and we're actually working together. And as the president said this week, unity is the answer and we've got to turn the page on the division and, and it starts here.
4: Tom, let's start this, or in this conversation where we started it, you you pointed out that you're not thrilled about all those executive orders. You'd rather see issues like that legislated. What other big topic issues do you think you might be able to see bipartisan support to actually get legislation passed? So I think about issues that have kind of kicked around Congress for more than a decade at this point, things like immigration uh, and infrastructure. Are those areas, or are there other areas that you're targeting?
8: I, I will tell you, I think there's wide support and, and – <laughs> Something on infrastructure, a trillion-dollar infrastructure deal, I think we could come together in a heartbeat. Let's, I'll just I'll raise expectations here, and that's something as politicians we're not supposed to do. But if that truly got leaned into by Democrats and Republicans setting aside their differences and putting the American people first, infrastructure, trillion-dollar package, we could get there. There's an army of us that are ready to roll up our sleeves and deliver that for the American people. Let's get it done together.
4: Congressman very Reed, and Congressman Gottheimer, thank you for your time. And we'll continue to check in with you as uh, we see these issues develop and see how that unity is going. Thank you very much.
0: Coming up, the $15 debate. Why minimum wage may become the crux of small business recovery. Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary.
2: Let's all admit and agree that small business are on their knees right now. To go tell us that we should brace for a 20% increase in our costs is just
0: insane and Galaxy Digital's Michael Novogratz.
3: I think we should focus on a living wage versus a minimum wage because, you know, living in Alabama and living in New York City are very different economies.
9: We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod. Oh,
6: I thought it was you, Andrew. I'll go. Good morning. You know, I (laughs) wanted to hear from you. I wanted to hear a good morning. (laughs) I'm Joe. Good Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box, Joe. Uh, All all together now. Ready? One, two, three. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, class. We can't do it because of the delay. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box. That's another problem uh, with these remote uh, location. Anyway, good morning. Uh, I'm sorry. That's my mistake. I'm Joe Kernan. That's not a mistake. I am Joe Kernan. along with Becky Quick, Andrew Ross Sorkin. We set up a, a, a debate about a $15 minimum wage, whether it's uh, politically possible, what it would mean for workers and for business. Uh, we're joined by Mike Novogratz, CEO of Galaxy Digital, uh, and Kevin O'Leary, Chairman at O'Shares ETF, Shark Tank co-host, and a CNBC contributor. How many businesses do you have uh, investments in,
2: O'Leary? In America, in almost every sector, in almost every geography, this so, is the worst idea I have ever heard at this time. This is a <laughs> crazy idea right now.
6: Uh, but give us, what, what would it do, what would you do with the businesses that you're running that it, that you, you have employees? Would, would you not hire people that you were going to hire? Would you fire people that are currently employed based on... Uh, the business not making sense with uh, with wage prices that high?
2: First of all, Joe, let's all admit and agree that small business are on their knees right now. We have never gone through a period since March 7th like this, ever. And to go tell us that we should brace for a 20% increase in our costs at a time when purchase behaviors have changed all across America, and we're trying to figure it out, is just insane. And so, yes, we would start to look at cutting employees not hiring new people it's it's not that this is not the time for this idea it makes no sense it doesn't take into account the different regional cost of living And on top of that we're pouring maybe another PPP program on the top and then taking it away from them the minute they get it i mean that is that is beyond insane that's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different outcome This is not a good idea. Let me suggest another. It's not fair to criticize policy unless you have an alternative that may be better. And maybe I can get my esteemed colleague here to agree with me and support this idea. For the next 24 months, just the next 24 months, any business under $100 million in sales or one that wants to be started by an entrepreneur pays no federal tax and is not bound by any minimum wage. Do that for 24 months and watch what happens. And in addition, cancel the PPP. I've seen what happened since the last March and April PPP. 50% of that money was completely wasted. And if Congress ever decides to shine the light on those loans, it's going to be really ugly.
6: Let me get get to Novogratz. So, Mike, your idea is to pay employees in bitcoin and have that quadruple and then they're making like 30 bucks uh, an hour is that how you is, is that is <laughs>
3: that's Does what I we say talk? a couple of things to, to start i think we should focus on a living wage versus a minimum wage because you know living in alabama and living in new york city are very different uh right. you know different economies so that would be my first thought my second thought is listen the bulk of people making less than the minimum wage don't work for small mom-and-pop businesses they work for the big box retail 85% of people that work in big box retail make less than the living wage in the county they live in. That's crazy. That's the Home Depots of the world. Uh, that's the Lowe's of the world. It used to be Walmart until they it got so much pressure. Uh, it's it's quick service restaurants, uh, you know, and so these are big, big chains where people are making lots of money. Uh, it's unethical for someone to work uh, a 40 hour week and make, you know, Eight dollars an hour—it just doesn't add up, especially. But they're mostly going up, Mike.
6: A lot of those, you know. Target, Walmart, all those places, it, without any government intervention or, or marketplace finagling, they've all gone up to. They're, they're paying fifteen dollars already, and that's that's organic. And the, you know, we're, they've got, they've got in a strong support- economy, in a strong economy, you're trying to get a bunch of workers, and they can demand that to, uh, to
3: pay. But Joe, you know, I think in a lot of reason, Amazon moved its wages, Walmart's moved its wages because of political pressure, because of social and political pressure, uh. because of AOC screaming at them and saying, "How can you not pay any tax?" and pay your workers so little? How can the government be subsidizing your employees with food stamps, right? It was like $3 billion of food stamps the government pays into Walmart employees who then spend them at Walmart. That just doesn't make sense when, you know, when Walmart's one of the most profitable companies in the world, it just doesn't.
2: Kevin. You know, the market is an amazing thing. The American entrepreneur is a force of nature. And by putting any kind of constraint on their decisions, in terms of battling back from basically an economy that was shut down on them for no fault of their own, is a huge mistake. My whole point but, is, it's not the time. Now's not the, the time. hasn't
3: worked for fifty percent of our economy for a long time, and the the medicine that you know the central bank governors and the treasury chiefs. Well, hold hold on,
2: 50% of the jobs in America come from small businesses. Half the economy is driven by the ones that you just poo-pooed and said, no, no, it's all about Walmart. No, it isn't. It's all about my businesses that hire 28 people that start and grind it out their family businesses in Oklahoma and Tallahassee and Chicago suburbs. They're the ones. They can't afford $15 minimum wages. They're the ones. They're the American entrepreneurs.
3: We had our capital attacked two weeks ago. Uh, We have this tension in America because we have. What does that have
2: to do with the minimum wage?
3: It has a lot to do with it because we have a huge gap between rich and poor, which continues to get wider every year between republican and democrat administration and it's braying the social fabric of our country period and that's why we have both populist why movements on the right and support. the left
2: why wouldn't you support starting businesses and giving them a tax break for 24 months and i would not support I would them support by that. any minimum wage why wouldn't I, you do that what's why couldn't I, I you give behind support
3: i would support tax breaks for new businesses and i would give them a break on the minimum wage for for a small period of time uh now i really you're talking but but that's let's, small let's, businesses. I think the, the bulk of what I think we need to shift is how we think about employees in our bigger businesses. Um, you know, listen. Twenty years ago, you used to get a job as a janitor working for a company like Apple, and you'd get health care, and you'd get, and you'd get you know the college program if there was one. Today, that's all outsourced. And so this drive to have only shareholder value as the only beacon just doesn't work anymore. It's why people are moving to multi stakeholder stakeholder capitalism uh anytime the system goes under
2: stress anytime it goes under stress anytime there's a financial correction people point to saying capitalism doesn't work it's got to be changed you don't change it you don't touch it it is basically working all the time but it has an element of volatility to it i don't think putting a new cost in some regions it could be as high as 25 percent we've always put rules around capitalism we don't we don't let
3: children under 12 you know tie little knots and make rugs anymore because we thought that was unethical like we're allowed to put rules around capitalism, we have from the very beginning, and so having some rule where we say there's some limited amount of money that we don't want, that it's just hey, unethical Kevin, to have a guy toil hey, away. Kevin, for Kevin in, in the past,
6: I've, I've looked at, at at how well, for example, Walmart shareholders have done over the years, and some would say that maybe the the workers in labor deserve more of that share of the pie than we've had over the past 20 years. I mean, shareholders have been absolutely enriched. Now, I don't know how that, I don't know what the unintended consequences of that would be if you started trying to tip the scales to, to sharing more of the fruits of, of the success of Walmart around the world with with, uh, with their workers, rather than have it all accrue to the shareholders. Would there be any way to, to make that more equitable and, and, and lift up from the bottom without uh, without doing it through a, a government mandated minimum wage.
2: You know, I, I, I love that argument and I point out that a stock like Walmart, which is so heavily indexed all through America, is, is owned by millions and millions of people. And they're not all billionaires. If you have a 401k program or if you put something aside and you're saving for your retirement, you probably own Walmart. And so at the end of the day, if you just let the system balance itself between the costs and the change of the economy, and the automation which you mentioned earlier, and all of those things that are market-based and market-driven, instead of having the government or anybody else decide what a price should be or what a cost should be, it will work. It has for 200 years. It'll work for another 200 years. For the last, last five 30 years, myself, it hasn't yeah. worked, right? 85% Look, of stocks just from just the There is of no 80%. better economy on earth than the American economy. That's why capital comes here. So you can't criticize it and say it's yeah. an experiment that you hasn't can worked. You can't criticize it because it it's not working for the
3: half pile. the people in America, right? The Look, hey, Kevin, just, just to point out, there was a
4: statistic this morning. There was a statistic this morning that I heard on Worldwide Exchange just saying that 87 percent of stocks are owned by the top 20 earners, 20 percent of earners in this country. And I guess that gets to the inequality. And and certainly there are a lot of people who own Walmart and their 401ks. Certainly there are teachers, um, firemen, all kinds of people who rely on that. But the biggest bulk of the gains are going to the wealthiest Americans. And it's that question of inequality and how, how do you address that? You're right. This is the best system on the planet. Happy to be here. So glad to have been born here, and feel so fortunate. But there are things that we could probably do to try and, and address the the inequality that's that, that's taken over, particularly Deca, with the programs we've seen from the as, Fed since 2008. You, I mean, you earnings as a percentage.
2: Elon Musk situation. Elon Musk came, came up with a better idea. Was a phenomenal entrepreneur. Has built a whole industry and has enriched himself because he owned the company. Now, should we punish him for that? Should we say all of those around the world? I don't know that want how, what that to has to do with. New I don't know ideas, what that has to do You with have to give back wage. your money. He's already no, facing all I, kinds of I taxes, in, and including an estate well, tax when he finally passes away. now that he's moving to Texas. yeah, of course he is. Of course he is, because I think the state should compete for great ideas and great businesses. California is poorly managed. New York is poorly managed. That's why but, people but, but, are moving to California. California's got the Miami. biggest
3: economy, the, the biggest and fastest growing economy in America. And so you can see it's poorly managed, but it's got the fastest growing and biggest and most diverse economy well, in America. Well,
2: then they don't have to worry. I guess Elon will move back there. I mean, my whole point is let them compete and let the best states have the best policy and the best environment. That's what America is all about, competition. That's how it works. That's why it is the number one economy. It's wrong to bash the number one economy in the world. But it's not working. For being I mean, somehow I, I'm broken. not sure maybe
3: you should open your eyes and go I'm to the Capitol and see people it. attack it. Yeah. It hasn't been working.
2: I have gone to the Congo. I've lived in 20 countries in my life. I get it. That's why I live
4: here. That's no, why I said I'm here. The, I said the Capitol, raised Congo, my family. Like the family.
3: The Capitol felt like the Congo a couple weeks ago. Guys, we're going to
4: have to leave it. Yeah, we're going to have to leave it at this at this point. We didn't exactly solve it, but maybe next time you're back both back on. Mike Kevin want to thank you guys and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: That's the podcast for today and for another week. Thank you for sticking with us through scratchy phone calls, Zooms, dogs barking, extra notification sounds in our interviews. It's 2021. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. Share this podcast with a friend. Tweet us at Squawk CNBC. And have a good weekend. We'll meet you back here on Monday.